0: Welcome, everybody.
1: We got the, that old mute on. What would a show be starting without the mute? So let's wind it back. If you want to stop the screen, share, and we will let everybody know what we're doing.
2: Alright, hold on a second.
1: Now that you got yourself ready. <laughs> <laughs> now that I figured it out. <laughs> now that you figured it out we're going to go back. We're going to intro the show. Welcome everybody. Uh, what you just saw there earlier was the intro for the uh, Modern Day Debate promo and for some odd reason that audio just decided to take over everything. Uh, I got it all figured out now as it's in the new promo. So uh, we're going to get right into it. Does the fossil record support evolution? Kentucky Atheist Rock? DRock. Uh, welcome everybody and uh, we see you in the live chat. So the floor is all yours Kentucky and uh thanks for being here
2: oh yeah thank you for having me um so can you see my screen we sure can all right so i'm the kentucky atheist this is my first debate i'm kind of nervous so bear with me there but i want to thank t-rock for accepting this debate and i want to thank modern day debates for putting this together and giving me this opportunity I wanna thank everyone who's watching and a big shout out to Robin Webster for helping me prepare for this encounter. But to start, let's, let's go over some definitions. What is evidence? Evidence is the available body of facts or information indicating whether a belief or proposition is true or valid. This may seem trivial, but keep in mind the evidence informs the conclusion, not the other way around. What is the fossil record? The fossil record is a collection of fossils that document the history of life on earth fossils are remains or traces of organisms from earlier geological periods that are preserved in sedimentary rock. The fossil record is used to describe the evolution of groups of organisms and the environment in which they lived and to discover the age of rock in which they're found. In other words, the fossil record is a historical record of life on earth. It provides evidence for evolution of species over time, and it's an important tool for scientists to study history of life in our planet and understand how different species have evolved and adapted to changing environments over millions of years. And evolution is just change in heritable characteristics of biological populations over successive generations. Su- Sorry, successive generations. And since we're talking about the theory of evolution, let's let's go over what a scientific theory is. A scientific theory is a well-substantiated explanation of some aspect of the natural world that encompasses a family of empirical laws and is repeatedly confirmed through observation and experiment. So what would we expect to see in the fossil record if evolution is true? Well, we should find simple life forms in the older layers with more complex ones, more closely resembling modern life coming later. And what do you know, that's exactly what we see. But what else? If evolution is true, we should see modern forms splitting from common ancestors and find examples of those ancestors along the way. And again, we find exactly that and they're called transitional species. And there are lots of transitional species found in the fossil record. What is a transitional species, you might ask? Well, well it's a species that has chari- characteristics of both its ancestral group and its derived group. It's an intermediate form between two different species that shows the, trans- uh, <clears throat> sorry, the, shows the trans- transformation from an ancestral form to the descendant species form. Fossils that show an intermediate state between an ancestral trait and trade of its later descendants are said to bear transitional features. And the fossil record includes many examples of transitional features, providing an abundance of evidence for evolutionary change over time. Uh, For example, Pachecetus is a close relative to whales. We know that Pachecetus were closely related to whales and dolphins based on the number of unique specializations in the ear, but pachycidas lived on land and had nostrils at the front of the skull as modern cows and sheep do the ancestors of whales probably looked something like pachycidas uh how did that evolution though go from something like pacacetus to modern whales with with nostrils you know aka the blowhole at the top of the head if a like Ancestor gave rise to modern whales we would expect the lineage to have passed through an intermediate form, one with nostrils in the middle of the skull. We, and indeed we do find evidence of this transition in the fossil record uh, of Aetocetus, which had nostrils in the middle of its skull. Uh, Another example would be horses. And When we look at modern horses, members of genus equus, uh, it also includes donkeys and zebras. They have just one toe, the hoof. Uh, The ancestors of modern horses, which lived 50 million years ago, had four toes. We know this from fossils of the earliest horses, like those of Eohippus. uh, if modern horses arose from four-toed ancestor, we'd expect the lineage to have passed through intermediate forms with an intermediate number of toes. And the fossil record contains many examples of these represented by three-toed Archeohippus and Parahippus. Uh, one of the first predictions made in evolution had to do with the fossil record. Uh, Darwin observed that wings of birds had fused together. And if evolution were true, he expected that we should find birds with fingers that have not yet been fused together in the fossil record. A couple years later, we find archaeopteryx that looks like a modern bird with fingers that are not fused. Uh, This is just a few of the predictions made by evolution about the fossil record. But there's there's many, many more. Uh, this predictive power is not just limited to the fossil record. We see the same thing throughout life sciences. For example, when we applied the theory of evolution to, to bacteria, uh, we predicted that bacteria would become, become resistant to antibiotics, and they have. And this predictive power is proven true time after time and is a major hurdle for anyone that wants to propose a different mechanism to explain the diversity of life we see today. Not only only that, but almost all of biology and the life sciences make sense only in light of evolution. So any hypothesis put forth would need to cover not only the fossil record and the predictive power of evolution, but it would also need to be consistent with all other fields of science that that confirm this biology, geology, genetics, and many more. That's not going to happen, though, because evolution by natural selection is consistent with all fields of science and thoroughly demonstrated within biological sciences, uh, geology, uh, geology in particular. The creationist model has no explanatory power when it comes to science because it's based on my book says a thing and I need to try to come up with some way to twist science to fit my beliefs. This kind of post-hoc rationalization approach to science, including the fossil record, is a fallacy. And as we move forward, I want the audience to pay attention to my opponent's explanations. Is he coming up with a hypothesis and showing evidence that points to young Earth creation? Or is he starting with his beliefs and trying to make science fit through hypotheticals and fantasy? I think you'll find the latter. But hey, who knows? Maybe all science is going to be destroyed tonight and thousands of scientists are going to be out of a job. Evolution is a fact the same way gravity is a fact, but science doesn't doesn't deal in absolutes because we can't observe every occasion of evolution taking place. And there's still room for advancing our understanding of evolutionary biology. But evolution has been observed and corroborated by the fossil record more times than we have time to list here tonight. So does the fossil record support evolution? Yes. Remember, evidence is the body of facts that indicate the proposition to be true scientists didn't have to say well we have this thing evolution how do we explain these fossils no they made predictions that were confirmed and they followed the evidence and not their preconceived conclusions there's so much science confirming evolution that this had to be limited to the fossil record because it would take forever to list all the facts that point to the proposition that evolution is true and with that, I'm just going to go ahead and yield the rest of my time and so we can get to the discussion. And I will stop sharing. There you go.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your opening statement there, Kentucky Atheist. Uh, and you guys can see over on the side of me there, Christian versus Atheist, David Wood versus Aaron Ra. It's coming up, guys. Uh, I, I, I do have to ask you guys. Where are you going to be? Are you in Dallas, Texas right now? Where are you hanging out as you're watching this stream? Uh, And more importantly, if you haven't already checked the link in the description, we got our tickets there. There's also a link to the crowd fund, as you can see the little meter next to me there. Uh, It's getting filled up as uh, more and more people are helping to make this event happen. Uh, There's hotel rooms that we have to book and speakers that we have to bring in. So without any more preamble uh, and housekeeping, let's kick it over to T-Rock for up to 10 minutes. Uh, The floor is all yours.
3: Thank you. Is my audio coming in good?
1: Excellent. I can hear you.
3: righty. I'm going to share screen, and I'm going to do screen two. And let me know when it's showing well.
1: Yep. We are on the screen, and I'll start the good clock you when go. you start your your speaking. <laughs>
3: all right <clears throat> the order of the fossil record is what we're talking about today so um i do follow a young earth creation model the earth is about six thousand years old plus or minus a couple hundred years we know what the history of the world is same way we know who was the first president of the united states um you know which parties engaged in the civil war that sort of thing it's just a historical record that eyewitnesses who were present at the time documented what they saw. So with that, because we know what the history of the of the world is through a historic report, we have much more accurate insight into what to expect to find out in the world. So, the order. The order of the fossil record is what we're talking about. What do you mean by order? If you like definitions of words to lead into your argument, the, the, the definition of the word order is going to be really important here. Is it a generalized vertical sequence of named layers, so named by the types of fossils found in them? Is it chronological order of deposition, determined by means other than characteristics of fossils found in the deposits? Is it the elevation order relative to sea level, relative to ground level, or continental basement rock level? Exactly what you mean by order and how it supports the, uh, or or does not support evolution is extremely important. What we're going to find out is the idea of order is highly subjective, and indeed, you can make it fit any paradigm you want by simply redefining what you mean by order. But does the... Does the um, objective order of the fossil record support evolution? What do I mean by objective order? Well, the fossil le- record is a basically a, a historical snapshot of some geological events that caused them to form. So <clears throat> I like to say that the fossils did not put themselves in the layers. Some geological geophysical process created the layers and put the fossils where they are it's probably most important to uh, understand that uh, where you find a fossil the vast majority of the fossils that you do find that is not where they lived that is not where they died some process took them there after death in in the vast majority of the cases otherwise why do we have marine sediments on land under any under anybody's um definition of what order is or fossil record is marine fossils do not belong on land they belong in the ocean floor okay <clears throat> geologic characteristics this is one of the things that i look for when i'm talking about what do you mean by order what formed the layers how did the fossils get in there in the first place i'm looking for the 2d area of the formation average thickness of the formation the minimum thickness the maximum thickness the regional termination the strata above and below the unconformities the stop and start height relative to sea level the start and stop depth from ground level ground level elevation relative to sea level number of other strata in contact Local level of elevation of basement rock, fossil range by living habitat, so by elevation, by latitude, by longitude, so on and so forth. Three major issues that I have with um, the order of the fossil record as evolutionists see it. Number one, ages are changed frequently when something is found where it wasn't expected. A good example of that that we can talk about later is the salt range of Punjab. There is a complete disregard for what caused any given formation. So when you say Cambrian, you don't even know whether you're talking about Cambrian limestone, Cambrian sandstone, Cambrian Cambrian dolostone. You don't even know what it is or where it is. All you know is what kind of fossils somebody thinks are in there. And I do grant, of course, that um, the fossils that are identified for any given stratigraphic layer are objectively correct in that somebody has actually found them and documented what they are. There's also total lack of apparent age in the strata to justify the narrative of evolution. In other words, there is no geologic strata of any sort anywhere on the planet that you can look at and objectively say that has to be old. The only way you can come to that conclusion by looking at anything in the geologic column is to make some unwarranted assumptions. The reality is that even if the earth is 4.5 billion years old that's still true. And so the older the earth is actually the more difficult it would be to tell what its age is. Okay. <laughs> Having said all that, one of the things I like to look at uh, it took a it took a sweep
1: oh, of, of elevations. Right so. Your audio cut out for a second there. Oh, sorry. So I want to start from what you just said? Uh, I don't think they heard that. Just as you turned that screen share, I don't think we heard that because it cut out for a second. Your audio.
3: Okay, I'm good now. You are. Okay, thank you. Okay, I I took a, a just a survey of elevation, uh, the average elevation of each state across the U.S. Since that's where I live, and that's kind of my reference point for most of what I I uh, know and understand about the fossil record. But um, what what you see is there, from top to bottom. Um. You're looking at states from west to east is essentially what you're looking at. Starting up at the top at California and going down, you're you're going further and further west. And you can see as you get towards the bottom of the list, you're over there at Rhode Island and Delaware. And you notice that there's a a serious shift in average elevation when you cross a certain point. Um, I'm actually in Oklahoma, and we're on the low side where the elevation switches uh, drastically and starts starts dropping down closer to sea level on the eastern side of the of the country. Whenever I think about the order of the fossil record, this is important to me because when an evolutionist says, "Oh, we always find dinosaurs above trilobites, and we always find, you know, the the higher order mammals above dinosaurs," but again, what do you mean by a Above or order because in the West you can walk out on one of those three, 4,000 foot elevation uh, ground level surfaces. You can find dinosaur fossils on the ground at ground level, three, four, five, six thousand 6,000 feet above sea level. Go East and very close to sea level, three, four, 500 feet above sea level, you can find mammals. So in that regard, the dinosaurs are definitely above the mammals. Um, but how did they get there that's the more important part how did they get there and we're going to talk about that a little bit (laughs) what I've got here is just basically an intro you're looking at an area of Charleston um, South Carolina and so there's a very famous fossil dig site here Um, it's called the Ashley phosphate beds Um, what you're going to find here is a conglomeration of fossils that are all mixed together in an order that does not match what The the general narrative of uh, evolution for what the order of the fossil record is. They're distinctly out of order. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of literature that really tries to parse this out as to why it is. What you will hear some say is that this apparent disorder is from rework. In other words, um, the strata was originally laid down in the correct order, so to speak, and some geological process kind of mixed it up rearranged it and put it out of order so it's called reworking the unfortunate reality is reworking actually is a legitimate phenomenon but it it is not a good scientific endeavor to just throw that as an explanation at something every time you see something out of order you really need documented reasons geophysical reasons why you think rework has happened and i'm not sure that such a thing actually exists for the ashley phosphate beds Um, this is kind of a this is kind of a uh, cross-sectional diagrammatic view of what the ashley phosphate bed area looks like and so what you're seeing if you if you look at the shapes of how each one of those layers and they've got they've got labels there i'm not going to go through all of them but i've circled and highlighted what the actual ashley formation is and it's down at the bottom there interestingly um but what you're seeing is a, is a a quote-unquote phenomenon it's a
4: ge,
3: uh, geological characteristic of strata called lensing and lensing is kind of called that because it shapes sort of like you think about a, a lens in a pair of glasses or something or a, or a magnifying glass. Um, in, the, in the very middle there, in the maroon color, you can kind of see the general idea of what lensing is. But what it shows you is how things, this particular diagram is done to show you how the lensing actually interweaves across a bunch of different strata here. And so in order for you to determine what you call order, you have to have a really good diagrammatic understanding of how the lensing is intertwined in a given area. Um, but the one thing that this lensing does actually show, I made the comment earlier that... Um, how many?
1: 20 seconds.
3: 20 seconds. I made the comment earlier that um, there is no apparent age in, in the strata, and this is one of those areas where only rapid deposition can account for this type of lensing, and I'll yield my time.
1: All right. That's no problem. There was only 10 seconds there. So uh, we'll go back to the old regular screen. And a quick shout out to everybody there in the live chat. I see y'all hanging out. We're going to end that screen share and get into our open discussion. If you want to stop the screen share there, t rock Oh, sorry. That's all right. uh,
3: I thought you could do that on on your end.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I can. I just... uh... It always asks me if I want to boot the person or prevent you from doing it further. So um, I'll just let you end that. But uh, I will let everybody know once again that we are going to be live in Dallas. So let us know in the live chat where you're hanging out. I'm over here in Nova Scotia, you know, T-Rock. I think you just said you're in Oklahoma, so... uh, if I had that right. And then we got the Kentucky yep. Atheist. So I think uh, we've, we've got all our bases covered here. So let us know where you're at in the live chat and where you're going to be for modern day debate, debate con four. And with that, we're going to get into our open discussion, everybody. So we'll kick it over to Kentucky Atheist to uh, start us off and respond to some of the things he just heard. And uh, feel free to jump in, gentlemen, and uh, set your flow.
2: Okay. So can you hear me good? Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, so what you're asserting is that some sort of special hydrologic sorting uh took place that that laid down the layers over the land in a flood is that's not Uh, what you're i would
3: i would take the word hydrologic sorting out of there what i'm asserting is that some geophysical process put the layers where they are in a very broad sense
2: okay so how do, how do you account for the layers being so defined? Like there's definitely a definition between the layers that you can see. If, if all these layers were laid down at one time or over a short period of time, the, there wouldn't be these, the the stratigraphy would be different. There wouldn't be solid lines between many of the layers that they would be blurred. Uh, I don't, how how does this account for that because
3: I, I think that's just are, are you ref, are you referring specifically to like the um the sharp contacts between surfaces where you might would call that an unconformity uh,
2: yeah like uh, so whenever you look at a at a rock wall and you can see lines in between the layers the stratigraphy of the layers you can see each mm-hmm. individual layer without you know, uh, and, and not all those layers are necessarily different in age, but you can see that. And if if all these layers for like the Cambrian on are are all laid down at one time, you you wouldn't see that. I, I don't think. Um, how 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 do you account for the stratigraphy? Is what I'm saying. D- does that make sense?
3: Yeah. Yeah. No. That's that's a good question. Um, okay. So for clarity. We nobody, no informed creationist proposes that all the layers were laid down at the same time. The okay. duration of the, the total duration of the flood is one year. However, not all the fossil record is assigned to that one year period. Um, after the flood, you've got a high degree of ongoing geologic activity, you've got an ice age and other types of local catastrophes, such as the Missoula uh, flood that can rearrange the strata and cause some of the rework i was talking about so um, you know i just want to clarify when we when we talk about uh, stratigraphy we are not assigning everything to the flood there are there are divisions sometimes they're actually very hard to parse out which one's which um, nevertheless there are um, divisions in what we think caused any given uh layer so with that, to answer your question, sharp boundaries between each successive layer. If you remember the uh, one of the last slides I had with the lensing apparent at um, at the Ashley phosphate beds, I believe that's the type of stratigraphic distinction you're talking
2: about, right? Yeah, yeah. You can you can. It's it's not like we have to search to find these layers. You can clearly right. see them. Yeah, in right. a cross section
3: so what caused them well essentially the majority of them and, and one of one of the criteria for whether something belongs to the flood or, or some other post-flood event one of the criteria is what's the size of it and so when you look at a lot of uh, the stratigraphy you're talking about um, sometimes in the thousands of feet thick of homogeneous limestone for example yeah. Um, so the flood is basically the story of some extremely rapid geological processes unfolding high uh, energy waves. And and the reason I'm trying to point back to the Ashley phosphate phosphate lensing is because it does it does um, exemplify exactly what I'm talking about. So that's a series of waves coming in, going out. Uh, waves come in. Um, sometimes the waves are bringing sediment from the ocean onto land and sometimes whenever the wave is regressing, you're taking sediment and bringing it back over where the original deposition was. And so in essence, that's how you get sharp contacts between stratigraphic layers.
2: Yeah. So I would actually say that the lensing works against you because I I mean, and this is just looking at it. I'm not an evolutionary biologist. I'm not a geologist. But just looking at it, I mean, to me, that says, "Oh, you can see where it settled in a low spot, uh, and, and was deeper, and, and just like any hole or puddle you would see, it's deeper in the middle, shallower on the sides, and it settles down into that place, solidifies, and then is covered again with another layer." I, I would, I would think that actually works against your uh, theory.
3: Actually. The only way you can get sharp boundaries is with a rapid process. Setting the age of the earth aside for a minute, without hmm. even implying that, the only way you can get sharp boundaries between layers is through rapid deposition. And the reason is, is because if it does not happen quickly, you end up with weathering, daily weathering, where you have rains running off, small streams that eventually dry up and return back to low gravity whatever but you have too much weathering you've got um you know biological activity bioturbation in the soil you've got all kinds of things that disrupt it and basically over time um, the, the number one contributor to not having sharp contacts is is the weathering and the erosion erosion happens so fast that you would obliterate coastlines literally in a few million years if the earth were really that old. Today, coastlines are receding and falling apart so fast that people can't keep up with it. They literally build a structure and then try and move it to save it because of how fast coastlines
2: disintegrate. Well, I mean, I I think if, if you look at that by itself, maybe, but there's also new material always being moved and added. There's not, it's not just it's not just erosion, and also erosion doesn't just take place at the coastline. It takes place across the whole area. So those things are washed towards the coastline. Uh, everything goes towards the ocean, you know. So, um, but okay. So when when you say uh, when you're what are you getting at with the ev- with the elevation, saying that it's because well current elevation. When, when, say that again. Well, you point at the current elevation and say, "Well, you can find these right on top of the ground, but mammals are at a higher elevation." Um, but elevation wouldn't wouldn't have anything to do with with that. I don't I don't understand because you have the order no matter the elevation, and you have things like erosion and uh, and other factors over millions of years that that wash away these sediments. I, I mean, some layers are destroyed and new layers laid in, in, in events and elevation wouldn't play into that anyway at all I don't I don't understand. Uh,
3: so, so actually elevation has a huge impact on how you perceive the, the order of the fossil record and the, and the reason is is because, like I said, some process put the stratigraphy where it is. The question is what's the process? Because the fossils didn't put themselves there. And so, like I said, if you go to the western U.S. and you find dinosaur uh, fossils at four and 5,000 feet of elevation, how did they get that high above sea level and they're in marine sediments?
2: Uh, I mean, we also find things such as clams at the top of mountains. Um, sure. But that's, I mean, we have... Geological processes that explain that uplifting and, and 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 things of that sort. Because just because that's where it's at now doesn't mean that that's where it started at or that's where it's always been um, as far as the elevation.
3: Oh, absolutely. That's 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 was one of my early statements. I said wherever you find a fossil, that's not where it lived and died. That's not where We're it right, lived or
2: died. But that's that's not what Uh, i mean i mean even the land itself isn't necessarily where it was not just the sure
3: agreed and and i made that point too that's when you have limestone four thousand feet above sea level that's not where limestone belongs and that's not where it came from so i in in essence what you said about we have geological processes that put them there i agree i totally
2: agree the question is what is that process so speaking of limestone um how would, how does that, well, we're not, I'm not even going to go that direction because that's not what this is about. I'm not going to um, go about the time. But, but, so, traditional evolutionary theory predicts that the fossil record should, complain, should contain simple life forms at the bottom, and they, they gradually change over time into more complex forms. And, and we see exactly that why are they laid down in in this order from simple to complex almost everywhere
3: yeah that's a great question but it's got the same root answer that i was asking about how did how how do you get limestone four thousand feet above sea level it's the same basic answer there's a process that put it there and so um understood that evolution has a a quote-unquote predicted order of of basically lower sea life all the way up to higher elevation complexity that you find with birds and higher mammals until you get to people understand that um the fossil record so as informed creationists understand it the majority of the fossil record very much like evolutionary paradigm is that it's the story of essentially ecological zonation in a general sense now having said that if you find dinosaur bones or fossils in limestone limestone is a marine sediment dinosaurs are not marine creatures they're by definition land creatures so i'm bet ba- we're back to answering this question of order by how does the creationist say that the order came about it's a process it's always a process and has never oh, wow. anything to do with the animals because the animals are dead they were not able to transport themselves anywhere on the planet some phys- some geophysical process had to do it so i'm back at square one how do you get disregard the age of the earth how what is the process that gets limestone onto the continents 4 and 5000 feet above sea level
2: because they uh,
3: that, that's, oh sorry sorry that, i mean that's essentially the question how do you get it up there what what physical process puts it there
2: well we know that you know though <laughs> we know that some places were once seas that are now deserts and and, and i mean we have there's there's tons of, of things showing that so i don't think that that I don't think that that's really anything that's that's not explained uh, thoroughly at that. Um, the, you know, we, we find we find just like I said, whenever we find fossils of plants on a mountain, the, the geography has changed and there may have been an ocean. Well, definitely, if we're finding marine fossils, that place was underwater for some period of time, but it was underwater long enough for fossils to form as well. But not just that whenever you say ecological zonation i mean if, if that's the case then why do we find uh, things like uh whales and uh, you know we find whales much later than fish but in the same place um, it, it's not it's not always just just i mean i don't i don't think ecological zonation really explains anything
3: so would you like an actual estimation of how you get whales above fish
2: no no i mean i understand why whales are above fish um uh, you know no i mean
3: in a in a creation in a creation model is the the context
2: yeah yeah that that was the original question is we have simple forms and, and in the same geography we'll find simple forms and more complex ones and even more complex ones that it was a completely different environment when they lived because just because it's an ocean doesn't mean it was always an ocean. Was we'll sea, you know. So, uh, so
3: the the whole ecological z- zonation thing, like I said, it's not unique to creation. That is actually an evolution assumption, as well. We share that in common. That's the overlap between us. I'm. I. It, it's not unique to create to the creation paradigm. And and I know that because. Um, uh, paleontologists and and uh, paleobotanists uh, and and stuff like that—they'll do chemical samples of um, of sediments that fossils are found in, and they'll try and make a correlation for how much time has passed based on chemical analysis. Because they essentially are saying the same thing we are. We're not different in that regard. Um, one thing that I might point out, because to me, you cannot talk objectively about order unless you talk about uh, the process that puts the fossils there and you, you talked about the mountain peaks. And again, I don't, I I can't disagree with the very general broad stroke statement, that geological processes did it because that's what I've been saying all along. But think about any given mountain range. If it's got fossils on it, does it, uh, does it appear to you that perhaps that mountain range was actually pushed up from the seafloor above sea level until it shot up to the height it is today
2: you're asking if if uplifting occurs is that, is I, that the I mean, yeah I'm
3: I, specifically yeah. though specifically because you you kind of already noted this you got clams at the top of the mountain you said that it had to have been under uh, water at some point long enough to get fossils accumulated right right. So then you, you essentially agree that that mountain started out as seafloor material more or less and then just got shoved up above sea level right
2: right right the the mountain wasn't there before and there were fossils that were laid down uh, over time and then due to uplifting uh, and uh due to due to the uplifting of the and plate tectonics we now have a mountain. I mean, the, the, I, I don't understand, I don't, what, all I'm not getting I don't see how any of this points to uh, a creation model, um, just like ecological zonation. So going back just for a second, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to gish-gallop you, but the ecological zonation, you said, okay, yeah, uh, evolution contains that too. So then it really is, is it does nothing for for the creation model then. You're just taking that and adopting uh, it to to your preconceived conclusion.
3: Not taking it and adopting it. What it would be more proper to say it's agnostic to the debate. In other words, it's not something that actually puts one model above the other in and right. of itself. It,
2: it, well, I mean that that was the explanation that you had given was you mentioned ecological zonation as the cause for it, and that's what I was saying is it does. That doesn't explain it. It's from a creationist view. It does nothing for it.
3: No, because but it, but I'm I'm making a specific point about this mountain uplift.
2: Okay, I'm sorry. To, I don't to get, you get know. there. I, no, okay. I, it's
3: it's 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 just it's okay. we I think the back and forth is good. Just I I just had some questions. I just want to kind of bring out some ideas here about how how you get this. I'll call a parent order. I'm saying. The, de- the definition of order is subjective is it abc order is it you know smallest to largest is it youngest to oldest what is it um and and so what i'm saying I, what i'm doing here with this mountain uplift idea is parsing out exactly what caused that mountain out uplift um to see which model it fits better in in my model it has to happen very quickly in your model you can have rapid processes i understand that because rapid processes are not unique to creation model right? But Net, but knowing that the question is, what mechanism do you believe actually got the fossils from oh. s- the sea floor up to you know 10, 12, 15,000 feet above sea level? And, and and without overgeneralizing it and talking about uplift and plate tectonics, I guess the more pressing question is, was it a slow process or a fast process?
2: Well, I think. I think there's a, uh, you know, we see these processes continuing today and we have old mountain ranges like the Appalachian ones where I live. And then we have newer mountain ranges like the Rocky mountain. And, and we see those processes taking place over, over time. And there's, there's that w- when you say rapid though, from, from a geological standpoint, you're still talking about millions of years. When you say rapid from a creationist standpoint, you're talking about, a you know, a what a couple years uh is 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 that what you're suggesting well
3: to be clear what i would suggest is that that mountain has been uplifting for about 4400 years
2: right cuz it's <clears> continuing <throat> now okay i i see um but but
3: specifically though You've got this uplift thing that, that happens, and it happens in both models. And and so some of the literature, I, in my estimation, if you read some of the uh, literature on mountain range formation, there's some really good information in there. I think yeah,
2: they
3: yeah. – I, I, and, and so to be clear, most creationists would say that the secular science community has a pretty decent sense of – the chronological order that, that events happened in. So for, you know, the ob- some of the obvious, which layer was laid down first, this one or that one. And then, and then at what point do mountain ranges come in and at what point does like the ring of fire come in? And, and so we, we tend to th- say that the secular science community has a pretty good sense of the chronological order in which they happened. It's the, it's the overall timeline that we think they're completely wrong on. But okay. this mountain range example is is a really good way to kind of help parse that out. Because my question is, again, real simple. Did the uplift happen very slowly in terms of like centimeters per year or millimeters per year or whatever over a very long period of time? Did it start out as a rapid burst and then slow down? Exactly how do you think that mountain lift happens?
2: I mean, I would I would think because of observations – uh, you know, uh, across across the planet, the movement of the tectonic plates. That evidence points to it being a slow process over many, many millions of years. Um, but the uh, uh, you know, we still see the movement of tectonic plates now, and it's it's a slow moving thing. So. There would be no reason to think that it was moving at any other speed at any other time. There's, I'm not saying that it's not possible, but I just don't see it, – it doesn't point to that conclusion is what I'm getting at. So
3: the reason this whole thing is important to me is because if you think about a mountain lift, and I'm trying to use <laughs> so I don't have to share a screen here, I'm going to use my hands here to do a little bit of gesture. Yeah, yeah. But but if you if you think about a mountain uh, a, a mountain uplift, it starts out as seafloor material <laughs> accumulating fossils, right? Yeah. And then at some point, there's buckling that causes this, right? Yeah if sea level is up here and we're down here collecting fossils and then things start pushing up, the number one problem you have in a very slow process to get that up is that erosion at sea level is horrendously fast. It's horrendously fast. So you cannot push something up above sea level very slow. The waves do nothing but sit there and wreck that surface completely if there are fossils in there if you go to any beach and look at the sand pick up a handful of sand at the beach and look at it real close sand is primarily quartz uh uh, granulated rock you know broken down into really small pieces but if you pick up that sand and look at it it's actually got tons of ground up shells from right right and and so that's what erosion does at sea level to shells it just yes, obliterates but,
2: but not all mountain ranges just because just because the fossils formed and there was water there doesn't even mean that the uplifting necessarily took place underwater either i mean that's all those are all assumptions about it there's not there's no you know but the rocky mountains for example i don't i honestly don't know uh what the uh what the geologic history says about whether it was underwater for how many years or whatever. But if you're, if if we're, if you, if we're talking about that, just because the fossils get lifted up doesn't mean that there was always water there and still water there. I mean, because over millions of years, we see those things, you know, lake beds and seas form and dry up, uh, you know, over and over. So that's not necessarily a, a problem for that. I don't think. But,
3: so uh, maybe maybe it sounds like you're suggesting that the mountains started out above sea level flooding came up over the top of it for some brief no. period of time and then went back away
2: no 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 i'm saying there were fossils i no matter no matter the elevation at the time there were fossils like there the fossils are deposited and they're there uplifting occurs after that. Right. But there's nothing to say whether or not it was underwater. And, and also about this rapid uplifting, you that, rock can't do that, because if you try to uplift rock quickly and especially at the speeds you're talking, you would it would like liquefy, actually, because there's the, the thing that allows rock to bend and uplift is the crystallization along the outside of the rock. And that has to exchange minerals as it as it bends and forms. If you try to do that rapidly, it, you're just gonna. It, it's just destruction. It's not. You're not gonna form mountains.
3: Um, well, most mountain ranges are the story of very busted up large
2: boulders all over the place. Right, but there are also there there may be boulders all over all over the solid mountain. <laughs> and there's yeah, and there's t- all t-
3: the way down there's a well i mean i just i understand what you're saying but i just disagree because right. um if, if you look and you can go look at for example mount mount everest i think is the one i was looking at i was looking at these um these very sharp bends in the rock very sharp bends, with uh, very sharp contours that look like it's du- the rock has doubled over on itself and it's got stratified it's got stratification in those bins um right.
2: So, but those bends exist.
3: They do, and right. and so you gotta you gotta ask yourself what assumptions are you making about the process that that uplifted that mountain? Um, are you as are you assuming that that rock that bend was already formed and solid at the time the uplift began?
2: I I don't think it matters.
3: It it actually does matter because to your point. If it had solid, if it had formed and solidified, and then the uplift began, the only way to preserve it is if it's in just a large enough slab that didn't get demolished. That is one way to preserve it. Um, oh, that's one way. way yeah. Sorry. And and so the other way that you might get that particular look in the rock is that if it was not already solid when the uplift began. In other words if it was sediment being laid down while the uplift was happening, flowing water actually creates exactly those types of contours in sediment.
2: Well, There are a number of
3: stratification experiments out there that demonstrate this very well, that you can get these bizarre tight bend loops with very parallel stratification in it in flowing water.
2: Right. But if it was rapidly uplifting, you wouldn't see the sediments laid like that because. Well, it, because it depends it's moving. on how thick they are. Well, that's true, too. You could you. Could, yeah, I, I just. Th- I just, So. But but I think, you know, no, I think there's assumptions to both sides of this, but I think some of the assumptions, you know, point point to something. And, and OK, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I think you said you wanted to ask something.
3: I, yeah, I got a question for you. So. If you, if you talk about any particular mountain, I find the mountains super interesting. And, and one of the reasons is I do not believe that the evolutionary prescribed mechanisms work at all, like zero. But having said that, let me ask you this. If you take any given mountain range, and let's just say for the sake of argument, it's 10,000 feet above sea level, very large mountain. What would happen to sea level if you took that mountain and put it in the ocean?
2: Well, I mean, you know, displacement is a thing.
3: Sea level goes up, right? Right,
2: yeah.
3: Because you're displacing a bunch of the volume of water, right?
2: Right. Because rock doesn't float.
3: Exactly. Well, and, which, and I mean, it wouldn't matter anyway, but... It, yeah. It wouldn't matter. Whatever volume is under the surface right. of the ocean, that's water displacement. the volume you're, dis- I got you. you're displacing. So, So anyway, if you took all of the mountains and had them... In the ocean at some point, that basically tells you that you had to have had an increased um, sea level elevation at some point in that mountain's early history.
2: Doesn't that also tell you, though? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead.
3: No, you know it's fine. If you need to interject, go ahead and interject. I, I was just, I was just the continuation of that is that in in these particular mountain ranges in their early history, the only way for that not to be true is if some other land equal volume of landmass is above sea level.
2: Comes because if it's the sea, right,
3: if it's not, that means if the mountain, if that mountain, the volume that that defines that mountain, if it's in the ocean, sea level has is up, It's higher than well, what it it doesn't.
2: Is. Doesn't that also tell you, though, that new material is being created?
3: New material being created. That tells me that well, not, the material... Not
2: create, but there's new material on the seafloor that way, correct?
3: There can be. It depends on specifically how the, that happens. There can be, yes.
2: Well, I'm, I'm talking about plate tectonics is what I'm saying.
3: Like, So you're talking I, about seafloor spreading?
2: Yeah, we see... We see but because the... We have subduction, right, where one plate goes under the other, and and we lose it goes down into the mantle. We lose that material, right? Mm-hmm. New material though comes up from the mantle, and, and so we have new material on the seafloor as well. And, and you're saying when you're talking about pushing up and it displacing this water, it's because it there would have to be new material added. You can't take the same material and say it displaces more water. That's that's all I was getting at. The same material okay. that's already in the water, whether you make it look like a mountain or a flat sea floor, it's it's the same material. But we do have new material introduced, right? Sure. Okay. And,
3: and, and to, to some extent, yes. That's what I'm suggesting is seafloor spreading.
2: Okay. Okay. Um, so, I don't. Um,
3: okay, so order of the fossil record—that's the, the topic of discussion, right? And, and it, all I was it, it was, was actually
2: mountain. does the fossil record point to evolution? But okay,
3: <laughs> okay. I I yeah. spe- the, my my email specifically said, does the order of the fossil record?
2: It it, it doesn't matter to me evolution.
3: Really. So I'm my whole thing. My whole thing in this debate is about the order, specifically the order.
2: Yeah. Um, right. Well. But, okay. S- so oh, let, let me
3: ask you this so so you can talk for a little bit. Okay. How do you get how do you get 3000 feet thick limestone onto the continent?
2: Um well it, it's laid down underwater. I mean the the strata is always in water at some the sedimentary rock that is. Um the limestone though, I, 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 it it forms under very particular situations over long periods of time it's it's not just laid down limestone requires a very specific set of of uh i I can't think of the word but it it requires still water to do that so so actually these waves coming up over the land would be a problem for limestone being laid down on the continent do do you understand what i'm saying why is that
3: no i I don't see what process
2: in which limestone forms right it doesn't limestone isn't just material floating around in water and it drops out and it's there it requires a lot of time to sit still if the water's disturbed you don't get limestone it 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 doesn't form into limestone to solid limestone that is
3: actually i would suggest the exact opposite is true Uh, and 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 i think i think what you're alluding to the the mainstream consensus view where origins is concerned in limestone is that in order for limestone to settle out, the water has to be sitting very still. Right. And some have gone so far as to say it's not possible for limestone to settle out like that in moving water. Would you agree with that? It's
2: not possible for limestone to settle out in moving water. Is that what you said? I'm sorry. It cut out. That's why I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that's not how limestone's formed.
3: Okay. How do we know that's entirely untrue? Because whenever engineers that don't care about origins one way or the other, they're not trying to prove a flood, they're not trying to prove young earth, they're not trying to prove old earth, they're just engineers doing civil engineering. Um, you come to very different conclusions than what the geologists who are not engineers come to um, number one you have to have an assumption about limestone its origin is it um, biogenic or is it non-biogenic yeah. you understand w- what that is right? I do yeah. so okay so the last I heard somebody said that about 70% of the earth's limestone is biogenic in nature
0: Right.
3: so the secular scientists, the mainstream scientists, would say all of this biogenic limestone formed by settling out in very calm water like what you have suggested. And what I'm saying is, that is, number one, it's not true that you have to have the water sitting still. The whole reason this is essentially high school physics, how you know that's not true, how it ended up in um peer-reviewed science papers is beyond me but high school physics tells you the exact opposite a centrifuge would- works a centrifuge works though specifically because of the mass density difference between the particles and the medium in which it's in and so i've got a I, over here on my wall i've got a, a periodic table of the elements and if you look at the uh, chemical um composition of lime, it is uh, calcium carbonate, CACO3. If you yes. look at the mass density, it's about a hundred. If you look at the mass density of water, it's um, like 18. and so it's literally five times denser. That means if you put it in a centrifuge, you can get the lime to settle out very quickly in a centrifuge, which is the exact opposite of what the geologist said. Now is there a centrifuge in nature? Well, Not exactly, but there is flowing water. And so the point of a centrifuge is to increase the velocity so that you can increase the momentum. The momentum equation is um, momentum equals mass times velocity. So the momentum is directly proportional to the mass density difference. That means when you move the water fast, you can get the limestone to settle out real fast. Yeah,
2: but that dismisses... Uh, the physics of the, the particles in the water. Um, because, no, it doesn't.
3: That's exactly the physics of the particles
2: of the water. Well, if it's... Con- okay, so uh, const- constant, a constant speed without acceleration is the same as sitting still, correct? Right? You're not... It, if nothing's... Inter- you're For what you're saying to work, that flow of water would have to have no friction. There would have to be nothing mixing up these particles in the water they would have to be still in the water and dropping out but that's not that's not how that would happen at all you're having constant movement of back and forth and 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 that's not nowhere near the same as a centrifuge as far as the physics are concerned because when that centrifuge hold on hold on when that centrifuge reaches speed right and those particles are in it and it stays at the same speed from the from from the aspect of the from the perspective of the particles it's not moving that's that's why you can do that there's no but that doesn't happen in nature do, do you understand what i'm saying The the yeah, physics is not the same that,
3: I, I understand what you're saying but that's not true that's just completely not true the reason particles fall out in the centrifuge is because of um
2: centrifugal so, motion
3: hi uh-huh. No, what I wanted to say specifically is that um, acceleration is defined as a change in, in velocity or a change in direction. Either one is considered acceleration, right? Right. And so in a centrifuge, when you're spinning real fast, the fact that you're going in a circle, you're constantly changing directions. Even even if you keep the centrifuge moving at a constant uh, RPM, you're constantly changing directions. So it's in a state of acceleration all the time. And that is why... The, the particles, it's just like driving a sports car around a tight curve versus driving a semi-truck around the same curve at the same speed, right? It's the yeah. same thing, but in nature, the only point there, and, and I don't want to belabor, belabor this at all too much, it's just that the only point there is that in nature, if water is flowing, as soon as it's interrupted, flow, it has to change direction. And therefore there is an, an acceleration induced. And that's when the particles can start falling out, just like they do in a centrifuge. But having said all that, it's a moot point to me because I'm really I back agree. in in where did the limestone come from in the first place? And in my model, my personal model, I'm suggesting that the limestone was there was actually beds of limestone in the seafloor prior to the flood. and
2: how did those get there
3: how was the earth created i'm suggesting in my model the earth is created that way in your model the earth coalesced over millions of years in space right so we've got different starting points on what we think the earth should have looked like in its early formation right and i'm all
2: i'm sorry i i the problem is though is but but what you're stating there it's the only reason you're coming up with that though is because you've already assumed the conclusion right no. you're you're assuming no. that it was created and then you're you're trying to fit that into it and that's not what here's here's okay so if the earth coalesced over over billions of years and is still doing so then then you should see x right and and the limestone but the limestone, the limestone itself, the, the composition of it and stuff points to that coalescing. Whereas what you're, when, okay, so if you look at the limestone, you wouldn't look at the limestone and say, well, yeah, that points to, to the earth being created uh, by a creator 6,000 years ago. Do you understand the, the evidence? You're using limestone to say this, but it doesn't point to that at all.
3: So there's there's a good point to this whole thing, and it all has to do with that uplift, because at some point in the evolutionary history, you have to have limestone forming in water. It only forms in the marine environment, right? And at some point, you have to get it up above water. And the reason, there are a whole bunch of really good physics reasons why that does not work.
4: One of them is the erosion
3: problem. If your limestone is formed here and begins to get uplifted until it's above sea level, the ocean, the, the ocean waves at the coastline are just going to obliterate it. That's all it's going to do. I, I'm not sure you could come up with an explanation of how that cannot happen.
2: Maybe it's not in the ocean when it uplifts.
3: How do you get the limestone in the first place?
2: Just because it was laid down underwater doesn't mean that that geographical location remains underwater. That's see, the whole point. We Right. But not due to uplift. I'm saying over time, that changes. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that, but I'm just saying that's one, one explanation for what you're asking. Uh, th- so just because a fossil is laid down in, in sediment, which is, which is always has to do, well, not always, there's you know, wind and all that, but, but usually it's, it's in water, right? But that doesn't mean that that water stays there once the sediments are laid down, it, because you're talking over billions of years. That, that geographical location can go from being a sea to a desert, to a forest, back to a sea, and back to a desert, I mean, over all that time. So when the uplifting occurs, I think would be uh, uh, important to this. And obviously, if there's some mechanism that is preventing limestone from being created, it's it's on the coast. That that's a very specific. That's that's a very specific thing you're saying that doesn't necessarily have to happen. It can be anywhere. Uplift doesn't have to be on the coast. And just because it was a coast at one time doesn't mean it's always a coast.
3: Okay, so you still got the same problem because it does it's the the limestone has to form underwater. No matter where it is, it has to form underwater, right? Yeah. And the only way to get it above sea level is for it to change positions with the sea level. It's either the sea level is up here and comes down or the land is down here and comes up or some combination of that. Right. That's the only it has to go through that transition. And so by definition, any square inch of seafloor that pokes its head up above sea level, that is the coastline at that point.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. But see, here's what I'm let me let me put it this way. So we have limestone precipitates out of the water and is formed, right? Limestone is formed. After the limestone is formed, the water dries up. There's still limestone there, correct?
3: so yes so you're you're suggesting you're taking the water and drying it up which means you're doing this with the water with the land essentially setting or, no. or elevation
2: does not have to change for that to happen we see lakes and and rivers dry up now i mean just look at western united states it doesn't The uplift doesn't occur yet i'm just saying the water dries up there's still limestone there so I mean, I, i'm not I mean,
4: talking
3: about uplift I'm specifically saying you're holding you're holding the sediments in absolute position and you're drying the water up. This is the water. Yeah. The water is a- above the fossils, the, the marine fossils and the limestone because it has to be. That's the only way they get there, right? So this yeah. is the water and you're, if you're drying it up, you're essentially reducing the water level like this, yeah. right? Right? Well, at some point, at some point, the water level is equal to the elevation of the seafloor and that is your coastline again
2: yeah I uh, i don't think uh maybe it's my fault from for being from kentucky i guess <laughs> i don't think my point is getting across uh right so uh let's just move on is that cool Okay, uh, sure. Um, yeah, I, I got a
3: particular fossil example because I know everybody really wants to hear about the fossils themselves and how do you get yeah, this yeah. bizarre order, but that's what I'm trying to establish is some geophysical process has to put them there, and that's the only reason I went down that path, but um, Punjab, the salt range of Punjab, are you familiar with
2: that? No, not at all, but… no. Uh, no well I will jump in just before you guys um, oh, go down
1: that path and just uh let you know I got five minutes on my timer here if you guys want to like take a little extra time to uh uh you know go over this next topic I'm fine with that uh y- we don't have too many super chats in right yet so get your super chats in there and we'll ask our speakers those questions at the end of the discussion uh and uh from what I know there is going to be an after show uh I'm just waiting. Uh, to get some deets on that. So uh, bear with us and uh, we're going to uh, hit it over to uh, T-Rock to get us uh, back down our, uh, our next train of thought here.
3: Okay. If we're, if we're uh, approaching our limit, we'll go through this example and talk about it because it's very relevant to the order of the fossil record. And then if you guys want to, we can kind of wind down from there. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to mention this uh, salt range of Punjab. I've got a, I've got a snippet here from uh, nature magazine, um, uh, Public, it's number 153 pages 462 to 463 February 10th 1944 this goes a ways back but nevertheless it's what they found there Um, it says the investigation of this material has given results beyond all expectation the band of calor must be teeming with signs of life for every single piece has yielded microfossils mainly shreds get this angiosperm wood but there are also gymnosperm Uh, Tracheids with large round bordered pits, and at least one good winged six legged insect with compound eyes. These facts suffice to prove that the salt marl of the Punjab cannot possibly be Cambrian or Precambrian. So the Punjab, it's in Pakistan. Prior to this discovery, it was assigned a either a, a Cambrian or a precambrian age, but they found six winged insects in it. And this is my whole point about the the subjective definition of how you define order of the fossil record. You find a six-winged insect, what did they do? So I, I don't have the full story in front of me, but essentially what happened was a group of scientists said exactly what this says, this cannot be Cambrian or pre-cambrian what they wanted to do was reassign the age another group said you didn't really find those things you're just saying that you don't have good evidence blah 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 it's cambrian we know it's cambrian so now you've got they're both evolutionists but they've got a competing view on why you find these I'll, i'll just say what they are they're out of order fossils you get them back into order by reassigning the age of the rock and poof they're no longer out of order
2: Right. So you still have the more complex forms and the layers above the simple forms though. You still have fish and then these insects above it, correct? They're not no. they're not mixed up as far as evolutionary order. They're mixed up because the layers were, were the wrong age, right? So somebody was wrong about the age of the layers. Is that is that what you're saying?
3: I'm saying they're constantly wrong and they're constantly having to either so what happens is either they extend the range that the of the age assignment so let's say uh, I mean this is Cambrian but let's just say for the sake of simplicity we're talking about dinosaurs extend the range from you know, 70 million, uh, let's say the, the original range was 70 to 75, they'll extend it and, and say, okay, instead of 70 to 75, it was 65 to 80, and they'll just open the range up, and sometimes they'll extend it to be older, sometimes they'll extend it to be younger, sometimes they'll go both directions. This is a case, it's called Cambrian or Precambrian for two specific reasons. Number one is fossil particular fossils they, they uh, thought indicated that, and number two, what's directly underneath it? There is no – so if you got six-winged insects, it's already time to have had dinosaurs at this point, right? You wouldn't have six-winged insects probably like that unless you had flowering plants, and flowering plants are supposed to um, basically start after dinosaurs have already been here for a while. Um, so they assign a Cambrian or pre-Cambrian age based on some fossil assemblage they thought they had and what's underneath it, but there is no um, Ordovician, there is no Silurian, there is none, none of the other uh, more recent ages, so to speak, underneath that. It's, it's Cambrian or Precambrian because of how quote-unquote low it is, but now you find an insect and poof, you just get to change it by a couple hundred million years.
2: So, so quick question because I don't know a lot about this. I I know just of it. I don't know the details, but did they find fossils that were supposed to be in different layers in the same layer as this insect fossil? Is that, is that what you're saying that they were, or, or is it just, they dated as Precambrian and when they did find a fossil, then they had to change the date. I'm not sure. Were there other fossils present?
3: That's a great question, and and I, again, they had to have assigned that age based on a couple criteria. One of them is fossils. One of them is what's underneath it. Another one is what's above it, right? So, to I'm trying to answer your question as directly as I can, yeah. but you have you do have to understand that. If you find fossils, if you have if you have a, a geological formation, a continuous formation, this is called a salt range. If it was limestone or sandstone or whatever, the question is, how far does continuous limestone extend? If it's if it's a continuous extension of limestone, you would be inclined to call that all one formation with one age range that started at X number of Years and ended at X number of years, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And but but the point is, it's all one formation. Right. So
2: so we have trying to answer your
3: question. If if they find fossils ten miles away, but it's a continuous formation of the same strata all the way to this point, you would call them all basically in the same age range right so the point is you don't have to find the fossils you know right beside each other if yeah. you find them 10 miles away in the same strata that is essentially the same age and same rate age age range indication
2: if yeah as I mean provided that you know the provided the process is the same yes I mean uh, but I, I know that's what we're saying what I'm getting at is though, is all things being equal. Yes. But I don't, like I don't know enough about this to, to really get into that specific one. Um, but if you have a layer and it is a defined layer, it could be multiple layers of, of, of the same thing, I, I suppose. But if you have a, a single layer, yeah, that you should find only fossils from that age range in it. And you know the the absolute absolute dating methods would tell you the age of the fossil or or of the of the layer. So for there to be a fossil in it, it would have to, you know, been there at that time. That's, I mean, yeah, I I'm saying yes, but with a caveat, I guess.
3: Okay. And to me, it's a bizarre example because that one—that one, that one actually is. induced that—that that one actually induced a very large change in age. Another example of such a thing is is the Roraima formation in South America, where they found pollen in um, excess of one billion year old strata. Yeah.
2: And well, and, if okay, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, if you if you find so. The strata has an absolute date, right? And it, whatever you find in that strata, of course, has to be part of that date. But if you find something out of the ordinary, um, which you're, I, is what you're giving examples of, what, what does that tell you?
3: It tells in this case. So you, you're you're using the term absolute date. I assume you're referring to something like radiometric dating. Yes. Is that is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, all kinds of questions arise, though. Um, how do you absolute radiometric date salt formations? Well. And and I'll I'll be I'll be fair. I I do not know in these particular formations is there any any radiogenic material in the salt formations right. that's not salt? Obviously, I, right. I honestly don't know the answer to that. Yeah, but
2: that's, that's what I was going to say. But it
3: immediately induces question begging. How is it absolute dating if you find a fossil and can change the age of what was called an absolute date?
2: Well, because it it's confirmed with multiple methods.
3: Then it's not just. An ab- then it's not an absolute
2: date. Well, what I'm saying is, is when they, when, when radiometric dating is used to like, like you can use, when you use radiometric dating, you can use multiple different radioactive materials to reach. And they all almost always anyways, reach the same dates. And that's why it's absolute dating because it's confirmed. And it's, there's, there's other things too to do with corals and, and things of that sort, but, but it's not just oh we think this date they they confirm it with multiple methods.
3: So this is a clear case though where the fossils inform you which method you should use, and they inform you what year's quote unquote absolute age assignment is. Yeah. The fossils do, but you can't radiometric date fossils.
2: No, no, not usually. Um, which the, which uh,
3: tells you that the trump card is always fossils. Which tells you that the order, that tells you that the order is always a subjective interpretation of which fossils you think should be
2: where. Right. Well, if you find a fossil of that insect, that tells you that the original dating of that salt flat was wrong. Yeah. Right. But again, I don't know what absolute dating methods they used, if any in this case. And I don't I don't I don't know how I don't know what it was dated and but if you find that insect. Uh, clearly the date is wrong it's it's not the insect that's wrong you know but but see it, it opens
3: up the the obvious question begging scenario because if you if you thought it was Precambrian, which is in excess of 500 million years and then you find insect wings and you go oh wait a minute it can't be it must be somewhere on the order of 120 140 million years instead right. okay but now what if you find yet another um, fossil that suggests it's even younger than that
2: well, right, but finding one set of anomalous data does not discount the the piles and piles of times that it has been confirmed, and 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 that it you know because it's not it's not like these things stand alone, and there's not all these all the rest of science that that confirms these things and, and is explained through these methods, you know the explanatory power of it is there, but. An anomalous set of data. Yeah, that that you should question and figure out, you know, be skeptical about about all of it always. But whenever you have so many different times that these dates have confirmed each other and we find consistently uh, all over the earth, the same thing within the strata, whenever you find something anomalous that doesn't discount all of those.
3: So. A lot of um, skeptics would actually very plainly say a hypothesis can be confirmed over and over and over, but one contradiction can basically blow the whole hypothesis out of the water.
2: Yeah, I, I have on...
3: literally, I have literally heard um, skeptics say that more than once. Well,
2: no, but, and, and, but, and you're right to some extent, but what I'm saying is, is you don't have the information to say why this was wrong or, or we don't know why that is if we would have to find out why this anomaly is there to then be able to say the hypothesis is incorrect and and there are times when when you can immediately discount it but i don't think this is this is equivalent to that
3: so here we have a, an age assignment change in the on the order of hundreds of millions of years in in the Rorima Formation, now, they did not reassign the age there. What they did instead was appeal to contamination. So, what, what was found there was pollen in igneous rock. And so, being igneous rock, one of the things you might ask is, how did the pollen survive in hot molten rock that solidified with it in there?
2: So Yeah, it seemed, seems like that would point to contamination, right?
3: Well, it seems that way. And so, so I'm sorry, say again, James?
1: It's all right. My name's Ryan. Uh, Sorry. Ryan. It just is James <laughs> on the Zoom chat, but uh, we'll wrap it up in two minutes. I don't want to derail. So, okay. Here we go.
2: Thanks, James. So,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. So, in, in the Roraima formation, some scientists basically said a priori without experiments that um, it has to be contamination because pollen would have gotten uh, basically disintegrated by the hot, the heat of the rock. Right. And, and but what happened was, a couple guys were smart enough to go actually test that hypothesis and what they found out was that pollen can be captured and preserved in igneous rock cool. and so and so, the, I read some of the commentary on the guys who were basically saying oh that can't be um, you know original pollen it has to be contamination and basically all they did was give their opinion with zero supporting evidence or experimentation to demonstrate why they thought their hypothesis was correct they just said it and and declared it to be so and to me that is, is not indicative at all of good science i
2: agree Sorry.
3: so uh, other examples though get your thoughts real quick as we wind down yeah yeah carbon 14 in Dinosaur soft tissue, carbon-14 in diamonds. To me, that spells emphatically that the um, the forced, what I've already described as the forced order of the fossil record is much more the subjective and much less in alignment with evolution than what it's advertised to be.
2: Right, but, but they have explanations for those things. They, have you
3: read the paper?
2: Uh, you would have to tell me which specific paper, but I have read some stuff about finding carbon 14 in dinosaurs that was, that was introduced later. Um,
3: Sorry. Say that again.
2: That was introduced into the fossil in the, you know, that was introduced after the fact, um, the carbon 14 wasn't the contamination is what I'm, what I'm claiming. Um, but that's the, that's the stuff I've read now. I don't know the specific paper you're talking about. I would have to look at that. Um, we're getting ready to wind down here. If you want, just send it to me and I would be happy to take a look at it though. I, I mean I'm interested in it. Um uh, well, I have yeah. one quick one quick question before we go. Do you mind? Sure thing. Yeah. Go
1: ahead. I, I'm not I'm so, like I said, I'm not worried if you guys want to get down into another rabbit hole. It's your time, but uh, you mm-hmm. know, if you got another question that, you know, spurs another five minutes of conversation, uh, you know, I'm just gonna ask right quick, uh, T Rock, you're still good for time, right?
2: I'm 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 okay.
1: Excellent, and you're good for time. I would take it, Kentucky, since you want to ask a follow-up. Yeah, follow yeah up. We, All right.
2: we don't sleep here.
1: You don't sleep in Kentucky. All right, well, no, go ahead. No. I'll uh, I'll get out and let you ask your question.
2: <laughs> so, this predict I talked a lot about the predictive power of of the evolutionary theory, right? So, how I mean, number one, how do you discount the fact that? M- so many predictions have been made about what we should see in the fossil record if evolution is true and we find exactly that and and second what predictions can the creation model make about the fossil record
3: okay no that's a great question um okay so let me give you the 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 prediction that i'm most familiar with which has to do with tick right Okay, Tiktolic. so it is commonly claimed that tick is a perfect example of a prediction that only evolution can make and uh, i'm not trying to discount it per se if if somebody made this estimation that we should find this fossil in such and such a type strata okay i'm not even going to contest that
1: right
3: here's the problem with claiming it basically sets evolution in an elevated status because of its predictive power number one is that all you're actually doing with that is following known patterns? That's all you're doing. It's no different than if I said, you know, two, four, six, eight, what's the next number in the sequence? TikTok is exactly that in real life in real time ignoring origins if you go out to a lake and you find fish and blah 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 and then you get closer to the to the shoreline and you start finding frogs and salamanders and stuff like that and then you get a little further from the shoreline you you can see how life is distributed that way in real life so it's easy to put that pattern together because of what I've already said we share in common with evolution in the first place, and that is a general sense, a general sense of ecological zonation. So in other words, that particular prediction, it's possible whether you've got a view on origins or not. All you have to do is know what the biological distribution in the world is. And then if somebody tells you, oh, we've got all these fossil sequences, then you can say, okay, well, show me a fossil sequence that's got you know, predominantly marine life, and show me a fossil sequence that's got, you know, some semblance of land life, and I can find creatures that look like they belong halfway in between there, because they still exist today, and you're just following a pattern.
2: But, but that's not, that's not the case. I mean, whenever, okay, so let's go, the example I used, and I'll use two of Darwin's examples. So, Darwin looked at birds and seen finger like structures in the wing that were fused together. And he predicted, Uh well, if evolution is true and we see these changes over time, then we should be able to find in the fossil record, a bird that has fingers that are not fused together. There was no pattern there. That was a prediction of, if this is true, we should find this and we do. And then uh, also with the, uh, well, let's just let, – I don't need to give two. That's – what pattern is there there that he's using?
3: Okay, that, that's, a, that's a fair question. I, I'm not super familiar with the particular history behind that quote-unquote fa- prediction. But what I will say, though, is there's an obvious logical fallacy in there, though, and that is because it, it's it, only in the sense that it's being used to endorse – evolution because the entire paradigm is that dinosaurs evolved into what's essentially modern birds and so number one there are birds in existence today alive that have these very small claws on the ends of their wings number two
2: yeah did
3: darwin know about that i don't know they may have been more common in his time just a couple years ago i don't know Uh, not really the point but the, the second point i want to make though is that you have a theropod that dinosaurs are that supposedly evolved into modern bird. And theropods have fully formed arms with claws on the end. Birds have fully formed wings. And then this example that you're talking about, which you said is Archaeopteryx, right? You said Ar- Archaeopteryx has claws on the ends of its wings. But the the, the obvious problem is there's nothing in between those two extremes. You've either got fully formed wings with claws, or you got fully formed arms. You no, got nothing but, in between.
2: But we actually do see all of those. though. We do see many of those where they're where the the fingers have have fused into the modern wing structure. It's not just Archaeopteryx. Um, so
3: fusion is is. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not being a biologist or in the medical industry at all. I'm assuming that fusion is actually a real modern day phenomenon that happens. And if it is, I can only assume that it happens in a single generation. In other words, millions of years aren't required. You can fuse bones can be fused from a mutation or birth defect or whatever right. in a single generation.
2: Right, but we're right, but we're talking about a whole population, not just not just one.
3: So I, I wanted to answer your other question: predictions that
2: creation yeah, yeah. makes.
3: Okay, <laughs> I've kind of alluded to one of them already. Yeah, in I, I stated that in my my particular view, and and mine is is the common main mainstream creation view, six thousand years old, right? So, knowing that the half life of carbon fourteen, for example, is five thousand seven hundred and thirty years, it's oddly similar to our age of the Earth. And so we would predict that carbon-14 has never gone through very much more than one full half-life. Therefore, anything that ever had carbon-14 in it should still have it. And it is ubiquitous in diamonds, coal, um, dinosaur soft tissue, anything you find in the fossil record above 50,000 years, it still has carbon-14 in it. And so that is a very accurate, very precise prediction of a young Earth.
1: Final thoughts there, uh, Kentucky, before we move into the old Q&A there and get your questions in there. Uh, We got about, what, well 30 seconds, I guess, uh, to respond to that, and we'll move into those questions.
2: Um, As a final thought, and if we're talking about the order of the fossil record, of course, I would still point to the fact that we find simple forms in the lower, older levels, and as we move up through the layers they become more complex to modern forms today and i think that 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 in itself points to there had to be some change and and whether whether you want to accept evolution or not the question is is there evidence of it and i think this most definitely points to yes and and that's that would that would be my major point in parting I guess
1: (laughs) All right. well I have no problem letting you guys have one uh, minute at the end of our super chats to uh, let your final thoughts out as far as this exchange is concerned Uh, so everybody in the live chat get your super chats in we're going to whip into it Uh, but not without a little bit of housekeeping first so uh, once again everybody Dallas Texas is where we're going to be let us know in the live chat where you are Uh, we want to kind of uh, get a little touch base with our audience as well and kind of get a feel for where everybody's tuning In from. Uh, It's always exciting to see where everybody is. So, uh, uh, once again, I'm hanging out in Nova Scotia and I'm going to be at DebateCon, which you can get tickets linked in the description. Uh, It's on this side of me. See, you know, I got to point to the right direction. So, uh, get your tickets in the description there. uh, And also, our crowdfund is linked. Let's get to those questions uh, and keep them coming in, everybody. Big Fang Flying Wayne. Thanks for being uh, in the uh, live chat again, keeping it lively. Uh, he says, T-Rock, how can you claim to use science to show a global flood and not take into account thermodynamics? Gutsick Gibbon's heat problem killed the flood.
3: Are you ready for me to respond? Yep. Okay, yeah. Um, the heat problem. So the one thing Gutsick Gibbon did do is bring to my attention a another quote-unquote heat problem entirely imaginary um, but she, she brought another one to my attention that i honestly was not aware of um but there are essentially three heat problems and i'm not sure which one the the question or the comment is is supposed to be alluding to um but the three different heat problems one is accelerated nuclear decay personally that's i do not i if that's the one i don't consign to it at all to me it has absolutely it's it's not based in reality i grant that um radiometric uh, radio radio decay in any particular sample in the rock has always been more or less constant since its formation um, so in my model i don't have a heat problem from accelerated radiometric decay um, the other heat problem that some people uh, uh, propose is has to do with friction of a sliding continent um that's not part of my model either because in my model the continents were sitting on top of uh, very large aquifers and so they were essentially uh, under gravitational uh, collapse with a lot of water under them so there's not a lot of opportunity for massive amounts of heat to build up the one um and i'm trying to be quick here but the one that uh, gets Gibbon proposed was had to do with lime and uh, basically what she said was that in a lab uh, some scientists essentially took some took some lime and let it harden and you know measured the caloric output of it and then extrapolated that and said essentially you're gonna fry the entire planet okay it's completely made up it's it's so fictional it hurts. Um, the reason one of the one of the key reasons we know that's not that's not even possible is because if it were you could make giant thermal batteries out of limestone but you can't. What the reality is, is that whenever you have a heat curve, it typically goes up and then in a lot of materials, and every material is different, but a lot of materials, the heat curve will go up kind of exponentially, like she was alluding to, but then it kind of flatlines and planes out and reaches a maximum it can't get above. If limestone were capable of what she was doing, like I said, we would just make giant heat batteries out of
2: limestone and you can't.
1: Okay. Uh, Any thoughts over there, Kentucky, to uh, some of what you just heard there, or do you want to move on?
2: Yeah, the, the heat problem is that the decay that we, the, the daughter material that we see today in relation to the parent material, if all of that took place in 6,000 years, the rate of decay, because heat is released as this happens, the rate of decay would have caused all the water to evaporate and melt the surface of the earth if it, if it happened as quickly as the young earth uh, position requires. That That's, that's what... I think that's the heat problem they're talking about.
1: All right. 30 seconds there, T-Rock. Close us out on that question there. We'll move on.
3: Okay. Yeah. Again, um, accelerated radiometric decay is not at all part of my model. I don't consent to it at all. And you have to assume that at the time that the uranium was formed, even, even in an evolutionary paradigm, In order to make that claim, you have to assume that only uranium, for example, the parent isotope was formed and none of the daughter. In reality, even the evolutionist has to assume that when uranium was formed de novo in the universe, lead was also formed with it.
1: Alrighty, Uh, this next one coming in from uh, Matters Now, but it's called Modern Time right now, it's in the middle of a change. Uh, It says, doing an after show with Ryan about evolution. So Ozian put that in the uh, live chat there. We've been just having some hangouts over there, and we're going to be doing an after show uh, on uh, the new channel. So uh, come on over and uh, say hi to us. uh, And I'll let you guys know here, uh, you know, once we're done, I'll put the link in the live if uh, T-Rocker Kentucky wants to join us there too. So, uh, LJ for $1.99. LJ, uh, you, you know, you come in, and I, I, I think he's uh, under the impression that we're always having a flat-earth debate, but it's it's almost like this is his thing, and uh, we we love you for it, buddy. So uh, LJ for ninety nine says, give scientific evidence for the globe.
2: You want me to answer that?
1: I mean, you know, whoever wants to... <laughs> Sink so, I,
2: so I guess I'll refer to, I mean, there's lots, but I'll refer to the first experiment that we know of, uh, Eratosthenes. Um, he set up the poles in different locations and checked the shadow of those poles at the same time of day and found that the shadows were going in different directions and therefore the surface must have been round. And he was actually able to predict the circumference of the Earth from that uh, around the equator and was pretty close with his uh, explanation. So it's an experiment. That's the science I'll point to, but there's lots more. Any thoughts over there, T-Rock, or do you want to move on?
3: Yeah, no, real quick. I'll, I'll, I'll throw in my two cents because we're I mean, this is one uh, me and uh, Kentucky Atheists are in agreement on. Um, another way we know that the Earth is a globe is through um, polar trig, polar um, Piri Reese had accurate maps of the globe using polar trig um, several hundred years ago, and it wouldn't work if the Earth wasn't the globe because you wouldn't be using polar trig, you'd use planar trig.
1: All right. Well, the next one, uh, we'll, we'll close it out from there uh, so we don't get too sidetracked. But LJ, he's doing it again. He says, even my dog knows all the moon landings were faked. You're trying to get us on all of them. Well, let's give it a minute, guys. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? You know, if we were going to have a debate on it, where would you guys be standing?
2: I would just say that there's, uh, I mean, we brought rocks back from the moon. So, the end.
1: Any thoughts there to you, Rock, or i will move on? <laughs> uh,
3: I'll play the other side. Um, I'll be honest with you for a very long time i honestly would be in agreement that the moon landings were fake um i I had my own particular reasons it it had more to do with just basic logic and the timing and technology that existed um as of late i i tend to be a little more straddling the fence were they fake i still tend to think they might have been but i'm i'm less convinced now of that so i'm i'm open to the idea that they weren't
1: All right, moving on. Mark Reed, thanks, buddy, for hanging out in the live chat and uh, all your uh, support at Modern Day Debate. Uh, We'll get you on here and have a debate soon, uh, buddy, before the con. So, uh, the Mary Schweitzer sample had contamination from bacteria, which is a source of carbon. If the sample was so young, why no DNA recovered?
3: Uh, I'm assuming that's for me? I think so. Okay. Okay why no DNA recovered? I mean, it's a fair question, but it it ignores the reality of both DNA and carbon 14. Um, DNA is a very long, very fragile molecule. The fact is, so, so as I understand it, what the literature shows is that somewhere on the order of three to six base pair length fragments were found, which is really, really short, not enough to do anything with, but they're still there. But um, Four thousand years is plenty of time to turn a a full length uh, chromosome, for example, down to three to six base pairs. It's plenty of time. It totally it totally depends on the environment in which they're in, anyway. But if you have a, a deer run over by a car on the side of the road and it's completely disintegrated in a couple months. Um, that shows you how fast it disintegrates, but yet you can still preserve fragments of it under the right conditions if you seal out all the oxygen and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it's it's so dependent on the, the context of the environment in which it's captured in, whether it can last that long, but 4,400 years, you, you can hypothetically still the molecule motion making the the kinetic energy of the molecules enough to not completely disintegrate it if it's sealed out from oxygen
1: all right uh any thoughts over there you want to move on there uh kentucky
2: well i think that uh mark reed making a great point uh as always uh but i think the point of it is is that the bacteria introduced carbon 14 and that was the contamination and a reason why you might find carbon 14 in a fossil that you don't think is millions of years old that's all right i think that was a big point of it
1: yeah, that, that one was for you, t Rock. So if you have any final thoughts, or are, we, or are we... Yeah, final
3: it? thought is it's a fair point about carbon-14 and bacteria, totally fair point. The problem is if it can't last 4,400 years, it certainly can't last 70 million years. But the whole reason I was bringing up the, the, the paper about carbon-14, they try to use diamonds as a standard. And if you read the paper very closely, what you find out is it is entirely most... Likely, the only explanation is that the diamonds themselves add carbon-14 in them.
1: All right. Last, uh, well, two coming in. LJ Strikes Again, $1.99 says, Glowitz believe the ISS is traveling 17,500 miles per hour. I mean, it's a declaration. And he also, uh, for another ninety nine, says, Shadow's experiment works perfect with a close sun.
2: Yeah, the sun's not close, and and also, uh, what was the first part of that question? The first one.
1: Uh, the first one is, um, globists believe the ISS is traveling seventeen thousand five hundred miles per hour.
2: Okay, so Reds Reddick did a video where he filmed it crossing in front of the moon, and from two different locations, and they were actually a- able to triangulate the speed, distance, and everything. So and, and and as far as the close sun, uh, I was being a, I wasn't being nice. Um, the uh, there's definitely lots of evidence that the the sun is not close.
1: Alrighty. Well, in uh, usual fashion, uh, we'll kick it over to T-Rock one minute. uh, We're at the end of our uh, open discussion. We're at the end of our Q&A, everybody. So thank you so much for your super chats. Uh, Actually, I'm sorry, I will ask one last question. I pulled it earlier. uh, And just a quick one here. Andrew Cumming asked, uh, if there's a time, I'd like T-Rock to explain what he thinks the terms erosion versus uh, denundation mean. Denudation? Denudation, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I,
3: In geological terms, I'm not going to be able to tell you what a geologist thinks they mean. What do they mean to me? Um, erosion is basically any time you remove um, sediment, material whatever solid material in any form whether it's sediment or solidified doesn't matter erosion is when you basically through weathering or other processes you just remove material in it in a general sense denudation to me implies that you're stripping off a lot more surface area Um, and literally like denude for example you might denude the entire um, um, grass structure on a on a surface would be denudation or or if there's no grass and you're just talking about a layer of sandstone on top of a layer of limestone or whatever and you denude the sandstone off the top and and expose something underneath it that's that's to me yeah but i'm not sure what the point of the question is all
1: right uh okay so then yeah with that uh i'll give the floor back to you for one minute uh, t-rock since uh, you did your secondary opening uh one minute closing thoughts on your discussion uh, here with kentucky tonight
3: yeah i want i want to thank you guys thank you ryan for uh hosting and modern day debate for putting this together thank you um kentucky atheists for providing a a civil conversation that uh, very very happy about that um i don't like the bickering stuff um thank you to the audience for tuning in and, and some pretty good questions uh my last comments on the order of the fossil record i think i demonstrated fairly well that if you find something out of order you just rename it so it no longer appears out of order. that means the guy who read about that uh, punjab uh salt range thought it was cambrian and then fast forward 40 or 50 years and somebody else reads that it's and and that guy concludes oh every the the order is is exactly as evolution expects and then fast forward 40 years and another evolutionist comes along and says oh it's 200 million years old or whatever the age is because it's got insects oh the order is exactly what evolution expects it highlights the extreme subjective nature and the rubber band uh, measuring stick that you get out of rearranging the fossil record at a whim just because you find fossils
1: that you don't like their position in Alrighty, and one minute over there to you kentucky atheist uh closing thoughts
2: so um i think uh The creationists have all the work to do whenever it comes to evidence for their claim. Uh, We have a model, uh, the theory of evolution, that makes predictions and has great explanatory power. And until we have evidence that points to something different, the hypotheticals and uh, things that have been proposed just don't stand on their own. Uh, And... All of the other scientific fields that confirm that evolution is a viable theory, I think make the case that there definitely is evidence for it. Um, but And also I would like to thank you guys, everybody for doing this and, and T-Rock, uh, I appreciate the conversation and you're, you know, I, I would be more than happy to discuss anything to do with any of this anytime, but, uh, And again, a shout out to Robin Webster for helping me prepare tonight.
1: All right. Excellent. Well, thank you guys for those closing statements. I'm going to remind everybody once again, Dallas, Texas is where we're going to be having our debate con four. So uh, if you could be in the area, get your tickets now. If you can't make it, we got the crowdfund uh, right uh, in our description as well. So uh, check that out for all the amazing perks. If you want to get a signed photo of your favorite speaker that you see coming up in the promo uh, for DebateCon 4, uh, then check out that crowdfund, uh, even if you can't make it. Those debates are going to be posted on the YouTube show, so you will be able to get access to them. Don't worry. We're not going to, uh, you know, hold them ransom from you guys. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, guys. Uh, really, you know, good, amicable conversation. I think everybody's, uh, uh, you know, I think everybody came away from this, and I would say this was a very good conversation. Uh, So, yeah, uh, to everybody in the audience, uh, keep on sifting out the reasonable
4: from the unreasonable, and we will see you next time. Cheers, everyone.